This is Fantastic Books and How to Read Them. The fantasy book review podcast for fantasy fanatics, book nerds, and lovers of lore and stories. Covering some of the most beloved fantasy series, as well as brand new novels. With your hosts, Sam and Anna Furman. Let's see what we're reading this week. Welcome back, fantastic listeners. We are back with part two of The Assassin of Malcose, covering chapters 9 through 13, and they were a very action-packed set of chapters. Yeah, chapter 8 really left off on a cliffhanger. We had Barrett and Aros investigating the fire at Franco Jornmuva's house, and they really hit the ground running, so to speak, trying to figure out if anyone was left in the building and navigating how to put out the fire. So unfortunately, they got to Franco Jornmaro's manor and found it empty. They did their best to put out the fire, but needed the assistance of the Rincoil who arrived and helped them out. And their plot line leaves off with them being questioned as to why they were there during this mysterious burning of the manor. But they are allowed to get away. And then Aros is at a loss for what to do. Yeah, he's hit a little bit of a dead end with his investigation and... He's still determined, but definitely losing steam as far as what his next step is going to be. Yep. During this um, action-packed sequence, we really get to see some really cool demonstration of his aura prowess um, leaping from building to building and making his way through a busy city to the burning building. And we also get some really interesting use of the minerals and materials used in this land to put out the fire. We also get an excellent display of enchantment and mineral use from Analia in these set of chapters. So Princess Analia receives a secret summons to join a Braddock University society, which are technically not allowed. So she has to go under cover of night to the library to prove herself and try to gain admittance into this society by demonstrating her ability to enchant and create an invention of her own design in front of her peers. We really get some great insight for Analia, her perseverance and dedication, her creativeness, and her ability to meet the brief. Whether she succeeds or not, we'll find out in this episode. We also keep track with Torong this episode. So Torong in episode one had discovered that his aura abilities were maybe not what he was expecting. Um, they were too powerful to the point where his teacher, Garak Cornice, was concerned. Tarong went off on his own to try to get some Hindak salt to turn himself invisible so he could sneak into his teacher's office and do some research on his own. This episode, however, his teacher meets with him, so he gives up on that plan. What he finds is that Garak Cornice tells him about a man named Jeroen Kroll, who used to have the same aura power that Torong is displaying, and unfortunately was an enemy of the state. He had been a member of the Rincoil and betrayed them and tried to overthrow the Malkozean government. So Torong is now struggling with this crossroads of having this absolutely powerful, amazing ability, but it being the legacy of somebody who tried to destroy his country. It's a really hard choice for him. Do you continue to use the ability because you have the gift? Do you keep it a secret? Or do you create a new name for yourself and disassociate from the terrible reputation that this power provides? He is going to start training in secret with Garrett Cornice, but we're not sure how that's going to play out. And then our last plot line is, again, 
the assassin himself, Scoria. So we find that Scoria was working with Dextra Noon, who was assistant to Franco Jornmawa, whose house is now burned down. And she's been helping him make inroads into Malcose by setting up fake storefronts that allow Scoria to funnel members of his own tribe, the Kith tribe, into Malcose and get them closer and closer to the king for his assassination plot. He also persuades Dextra Noon to join his tribe, the Kith tribe. And we meet Scoria's right-hand man, Morgan Kith, who is just a badass at fighting. He's ruthless, he's a killer, and he's been out there implementing all of Scoria's plans. So this section of chapters is really exciting. We get some great developments from our characters, as well as some build-up of what their next steps might be. As like last week, we are joined by the author, Brian Asher himself, to discuss these chapters in his book, and don't forget to check out his book in this series, as well as the next book, The Treasure of Lorev, at his website, ashernovels.com, or his Instagram account, at ashernovels. So we left off on the cliffhanger of the house burning, and there wasn't as many answers as I think I was expecting. Yeah, no, that was um, exciting. And I love that whole sequence of them, of Barrett and um, Aros trying to put out that fire. That was really cool because, you know, they had to use their aura abilities and navigate the like busy town and landscape. And that was very, as a reader, visually appealing, kind of seeing how their Rin coil and training allowed them to kind of traverse the environment and it kind of spring into action very superhero style yeah i liked that i think i think i was just so disappointed because i thought they were gonna like run into the house and then either find who started the fire or find franco jornmau and they found neither and then they weren't even super successful at putting out the fire even though some townspeople came to help so their plot line kind of took a turn i was not expecting which Mm. is almost feels like a bit of a, a dead end for them they're kind of questioned at the end of their chapter by, is it Ter- Terrace Talnock, who's the, like, the leader of the little ring coil group who came to help them. He was a little bit accusatory towards them as to why they were there during this fire. He lets them go, and then they just start walking back towards town, and they don't know what they're going to do now. So Yeah, definitely a little bit of a dead end. <laughs> I do love that they're trying to play it cool, and they're like, no, we're just like super into math for the festival. And they're like, mm, I don't know about that. <laughs> oh, yeah, I liked that little excuse. Um, <laughs> uh, and then they did a different excuse of like they were there to see a musician who Barrett liked. But yeah, I have no idea what they're going to do now. I don't know if Franco Jornmawa is alive or dead. We don't know who burnt his house, and... I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I was just so surprised by their plot line. It was. Yeah, you were convinced. I was like, all right, we're really going to get into the meat of it. And then it was like dead wall. And that's that's really going to have to allow them to really do some sleuthing and pick up a cold trail. So I'm excited to see where their plot line's going to develop. Yeah, I was really expecting Franca to like give them the next step in their quest. And now they're kind of off on their own. Yeah, no, it, it was as I was putting that portion together, my thought was, as I was writing that, the idea of them running into these dead ends only creates more of these issues Oros has within himself and causes him to really dig deep. Because if you're a hero who's constantly finding answers and then you have nothing, like where do you go? You know, if you're a detective and your case is cold, where do you turn? What do you do? So there will be, their story will pick back up a little bit later. The way I structured the book, because it was short, but I had so many storylines, is each character kind of hits like a big 
like a big fork in the road for themselves or a big wall. And so it allows me to kind of jump and do a bunch of other characters. And then because I had to be pretty strategic about the page count. And so when I jump back to Oros, there's sort of a lot that's happened without being said, but it'll be shown kind of in the way that they communicate to each other and the different events that happen. So their their story will pick back up, but at a much further along point in like the sleuthing and, and looking where they're at. So they, cool. they will pick back up, but it allows it allowed me to be able to switch people and characters for a good duration and um, not feel like, oh my gosh, like I got to this really cool point in the book and there's like the plot is moving forward. And now like he's talking about all these other side characters, like get back to my, get back to my adventure. So it allowed me to do that without creating that issue. Cause I know as a reader that would frustrate me in certain books where you're really excited. And then it's like, Bang. and it's like, no, I don't want them going over here to, you know, talk <laughs> to the other people. I want them like in it. And so it was a way for me to be like, well, if they hit a dead wall, then it's okay to leave them alone. And they don't have to, I don't have to cover all that minutia of some of the, detective work in between where you'll see when it picks back up so it allows it to feel a little more natural so that's it was, cool. it's kind of hard to figure out a template for that because most people again are writing really big books so trying to make that work in more of that pulp style was uh was a bit of a challenge so yeah no i think because i think that probably the most recent books that sam and i have read where it's like following lots of different characters is um we read a lot of dan brown books which are super fast paced the chapters are like one to two pages long sometimes and you have a cast of characters and sometimes I get a character that I just like don't find compelling because they're like the information character who kind of just drives like the backstory of like providing information where all the other yeah all the other characters like on adventures and then you have like the dictionary character basically um and these characters all are on their own different like fun adventure paths and I really like seeing how they're all very unconnected still yeah Um, one thing that i found really interesting with this first sequence though was and i like that it's becoming more and more uh prevalent with each character and scenario is the use of like these enchantments and materials that allow characters to kind of manipulate the world and environment around them in a way that is not physically possible so i kind of like this workaround for maybe not being able to do like a traditional like bucket and water carrying system to put out the fire that they have this wellness powder. I thought that was like really interesting, especially too, because in your mind you at first you're like powder to put out a fire. What are you talking about? And then having those like physical properties kind of explained and like quenching the fire partially was really interesting. It reminded me of like the fire extinguishers that use that like chemical powder. Yeah. Um, That's probably where that came from. And also when, when the army showed up to help, I was like, this is a really obviously a good way to sort of give a little bit of that magic uh, system building and just make it a little more fun than them just like coming out with a magical fire hose or something. <laughs> yeah. And I'm enjoying that because I, I think sometimes, not that it's dangerous, but with certain magic systems and books, if there's like a limitless potential and ability then it almost takes the impressiveness out if you have something that has limitations and how you can use it it makes it that much more compelling when it's used so i think that was a really cool um addition and workaround for you know people's limitations speaking of all of the magic stuff analia definitely had like such a cool set of chapters yeah um i love where her plot is going 
quick summary, like she received that summons to join a secret society and the societies are not allowed, correct? Yeah, it's sort it's sort of like uh, uh, the worst kept secret. So it's, okay. it's something that like we don't we don't speak about it. We don't talk about it. It's like if you had like a secret sorority or, or fraternity, it's, it's something that everybody knows is, exists. Everybody knows it's a thing, but you just don't really speak about it. It's like rude to. So just and it, it adds to the fun of them being in this club for all the different clubs of all the yeah. different types of uh, industry. So cool, yeah. So hers is like an enchanting society. I mean, we don't know what the other kinds of societies are. I don't know if they are other types of magic or if they're more like I don't know, like a. <laughs> I mean, there might be like a fighter s- guild or whatever else. <laughs> I guess yeah, there could be like a battle yeah. arts kind of thing. But yeah, so she gets like a summons and has to go to the library to like prove herself. And I love the, not only like the proving themselves by doing this enchantment and creating um, what they're calling organizers, but I love like the first step was figuring out just how to get into the library. Yeah. She had to find like that tiny little BES for Braddock Enchantment Society, like etched into the hinge on the door and then figure out how to get herself in. And I was feeling like so proud of her for figuring that out. And then they were like, oh, you're the last one to get here. Uh, <laughs> But it turns out that her society is run by the librarian, Eric Montzore, and they had to create those organizers, which I think were so cool yeah, uh, because they're like personal to each individual enchanter. And it's like a way to store all their powders in a secret and organized way. So like the girl who showed and set the task, her organizer like was like this like long wooden like, like a sleeve box or sleeve that like ran yeah. the length of her arm but she'd enchanted it so that the wood could like move and bend with her and then she had also enchanted it so it could basically cloak itself to look like her arm so you wouldn't even see it and i yeah. love the idea of like secretly carrying powders for your like magic and not making it like you know i have my my belt with all my pouches on it or like making it really obvious like it's something that's a little more like secret and private and then analia's is very cool yes. i love hers very <laughs> cleverly done, both as a character and as an author. When the challenge was established, I didn't know if they were going to have to make verbatim what the initial organizer was. So I was like, how is she going to make this? What's it going to turn out as? Yeah. And the fact that it was a tablet that can transform into a map and roll up, I was like, that's what you want. And it seemed like it. you had kind of set the uh, precedent for her enchantment by the fact that she had made that clay that you could change its like hardness and then remorph it and then reharden it again so she's yeah. like kind of going out and like experimenting and figuring out new things on her own and then she took that and used it in this task and it like got her admittance to the society so it's very like a big success moment for her although we don't really know like how the society is going to like help her like obviously it's going to help her hone her skills but i feel like the connections of the people in the society are also going to end up being very important considering i think Everyone at the university is also like a, a high class or like high political importance, like member yeah, of a family the, like the that. The university is basically at the capital. So everybody there is generally high status for sure. Cool. Yeah. So I think that's definitely going to be helpful for her. Whether or not her dad will find out <laughs> and approve is to be <laughs> determined. Yeah. I feel like her the fork in her road is definitely like diverting harder and harder. And it sucks because like we talked so much last time about how she's good at both things. By proving herself and getting into the society, it shows that, like, she is really good, not only in her own perspective, but, like, the perspective of her peers. And they didn't let her in just because she's the princess. Like, she had to prove herself. 
and she did really well. Um, one person did not make it in, so it wasn't like, you all pass. Um, <laughs> yeah, I had to make sure that happened, because at first I was going down that road, because I was, each of the people, so as I was building this world, like, I in my mind, there were future plans for these characters for further adventures, because my idea yeah. is making characters that I can make a ton of adventures with. So, like, you know, Anali and these people in the Enchantment Society, there's tons of stories I have there. And I've started creating these characters because they're all going to pass in my mind. And I'm like, if they all pass, then where's the, you know, where's the risk? Where's yeah. the feeling of actual accomplishment, you know? And so that was kind of where I had to make that. And then also when I did it, it allowed me to make uh, Karina, the character that is like running it, show a bit of her um, personality as as a leader and kind of show like what she's capable of when she pulls, you know, her side and is walking her out and, you know, being able to describe that was was uh, really fun to build her character and kind of show what type of leader she'll be. I think she'll be really cool. And I liked that there was a little bit of internal monologue for yeah. Analia talking about how she wished she had a little bit more of Karina's charisma and natural leadership, which sucks knowing that, like, you are literally going to be the leader of this country and you see somebody else out there who you think is a better leader than you. And whether or not they'll end up being friends and she can learn from her. Or if it's going to be more of them like butting heads. Or like a rivalry. Yeah, I hope that they become good friends. Because I feel like two really powerful young women who are going to be like in government is going to be cool. But it can also be like a breeding ground for discontent if they're both really good at the same <laughs> <Yeah>. thing. <laughs> so, I, I, I think you'll really enjoy where those two characters go. Because um, towards the end of the book, and again because of the page count, certain things get sped up a little bit. But the nature of their relationship is... It, it makes sense for the type of, of characters that they are and how sort of these two alpha personalities, but in different ways, right? Um, yeah. Feed off each other and make each other better. Almost like two athletes on a team, you know, oh, playing cool. together, making each other better. So, yeah. That's no, awesome. it was definitely a cool section. I really enjoyed the, um, like the buildup and the intensity and like her fear and panic as like, she's creating the organizer and it's like melting and she's trying to like course yeah. correct it before it just kind of like, gets destroyed in her hands there's such a sense of urgency it really creates such tension while reading it so that was like awesome yeah that chapter was my favorite chapter to write outside of when i got to the well you'll get to it but the final sort of like battle with everything other than that just because it was a culmination of all my work but this chapter was my favorite chapter to write i i loved it i loved everything you guys talked about it's everything i ever wanted as a kid finding a secret door into a library with cool magic going on like that's what I always wanted as a kid so I got to kind of live through this chapter <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah I would absolutely love that like just the idea of a secret door anywhere is fascinating to me and then like the mystique of like you've entered the secret society yeah your task begins now like it's awesome it's very yeah. fun that was kind of her big moment in this set of chapters and then we didn't get any more chapters with Analia so I think it left a bit on the cliffhanger of like they set the date of their next meeting and she was looking forward to it. And oh, yeah, she's definitely living off that high as readers. We're just going to have to look forward to it, too. <laughs> yeah. But I'm liking this kind of jump around. So um, one of our DMs, he for uh, Dungeons and Dragons, he always says we have a bad case of the shinies where we'll get like distracted and go from like one thing to the next. Like, oh, what's that? What are we doing? And I'm, I'm really enjoying how these chapters jump from character to character and, like, what's going on, and then we'll full circle moment. So it satisfies, like, my own personal case of the Shinies. <laughs> <laughs> when I made these books, that was intentional, is that we're becoming more visual, we're becoming more uh, watching all these different shows. There's so much content. So 
when I put this book together, I wanted it to be like a very plot centric progression centric, like the, the book continues to move forward and have a really quick pace. Almost like if you watch the Martian, like that movie's long, but it moves really, really well. Yeah. Um, and so I, you know, I kind of thought about different pieces of entertainment that work in that way. Um, you know, as a kid, I loved John Belair's. He wrote these like, uh, like kids, young horror mystery books. And his books would always be like progressing in the most fun way. Same with, you know, Harry Potter is a great example. So that was with those, with these books, like I, when I finished everything, I actually took the chapters and like laid them out and I wrote down the moments and I put together what I felt would be the best jump around layout. So some oh. of them actually got shuffled around a little bit. So I wrote everything sequentially and then I, I kind of took a step back and I was like, where do these moments, where does it feel like if you were watching it as a movie, where do these moments line up? Like if you were to cut from one moment to another, how does this line up the best? And so in my mind, this is the best lineup of those moments. That's, That's fascinating. Really smart. Yeah. yeah. Because like to do obviously like plot from point A to point B sequentially makes the most sense when you're building it, but it's not always the most entertaining. And I like everyone's progressing kind of at the same rate, but like you only get, you know, one chapter's worth, two chapters worth at a time of each person. And then it's like, okay, now what's the next person doing? And you're interested whenever you're going to circle back to person A. But then when you jump to person B, you're like, oh, yeah, they were doing something really cool, too. And then you get right into it. Yeah, Yeah, it's really fun. So I think we got three other plot lines that were happening in this set of chapters. So we had, we continued with Scoria and Torong, each had a set of chapters. And then we got one new character. Yeah, Morgan Kith. Who awesome. <laughs> was wicked very good character. Cool. Can we just talk about that arrow hitting like the axe and tomahawking that guy in the forehead? Like that was cool. So cool. <laughs> just brutal. So he's definitely um Scoria's right hand man as far as being a good accomplice and getting things done. Yeah, it seems like Scoria's kind of the brains behind the operation. And we got a little bit more about his back plot, so he was orphaned, and then it seems like he felt really responsible for the city that he, like, helped. He, like, grew up in, I think, but then also kind of helped raise the city up a bit. Yeah. And, okay, yeah, cool. That's not in Malcose, correct? No, that's in Crab uh, Pass, which is his intercontinent that he's from, where most of the mining and, and minerals happen. So, yep. you know, he's in this, you know, area. And, again, the, that whole intercontinent there's a lot of sort of Mad Maxi tribal warring over these different things. And there's not as much of like centralized government or anything. It's, you know, very hodgepodge. And uh, his, he's growing up in this area that's just getting torn apart and ravaged and, and everything. And, you know, as you're finding purpose in your life, he kind of says to himself, like, I'm going to make this place my, I'm not going to run anymore. Uh, and so he builds up Kith to be a big, important player. And then, you know, again, because of how close they are, to Malcoza, he can then, you know, start building his plan as far as uh, his main goal in the book. He's establishing the area, which is great. And then, man, he's got Dextra Noon, like, wrapped around his finger. Like, he has been playing her, and she's even like, I want to join you. And he's like, oh, really? Like, clearly was his intent to kind of get her to work with him. Yeah, I hope we get a little bit more information about her, because she was Franco Dronmao's assistant and, like, was kind of working for Scoria. So I don't know if like she's responsible for the fire in his house or if she's just. I think yeah, she that's is. A good, but... That's a good guess. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty, pretty, sure. pretty sure. But there's also like because but... we were still being introduced to characters, I wasn't sure if 
if it was necessarily her. Right, it could have been him, like, leave no trace of evidence, dip out of his house, someone's onto him. Yeah, so I'm not They're sure. Both good <laughs> <laughs> Those are both good guesses. Like I said, yeah. there's a little bit of mystery there intentionally, so. Yeah, I'm excited to see the development, and it's crazy because I have a feeling a lot of this is going to become, like, full circle, but, you know, we have Dexter Noon, who's the assistant to Franco. Was she the one who was, like, spoon-feeding information to get Oros involved with that whole investigating plot to begin with. So I'm interested to see where it's all leading. Because I guess if their goal is to assassinate the king, like it would definitely help for them to spread the rumors about the king having another heir potentially. Because then I feel like people would be maybe less enamored with the king. Or I don't know if one of the characters we've met already is one of the heirs to the king or if that's just... Like, in Oros's position, like, is it actually true, or is he just out on a wild goose chase still? We're not sure. And it would make a lot of sense if there was, um, for lack of a better term, like, a bastard heir. Right. And then if the king is murdered, and then if Analia was unfortunately taken out, then somebody could come out from the woodwork and be like, the rumors were true, here I am, ready to take the throne. So there's, like, a lot of that. Yeah, you could definitely manipulate that to, like, your advantage from Scoria's position, so... Seeing how all their plots will intertwine is going to be cool. But yeah, so we got, that's kind of all Scoria's been doing. They're working on building more fake stores in Malcose so that they can like funnel members of his kith tribe into the area and like slowly get closer and closer to the king. Definitely Um, very mob boss. Like it's all like a front. (laughs) Yeah, he's definitely like, like a warlord almost is how I'm picturing him. So, I don't know. And then you thought maybe that Morgan Kith might end up being the actual assassin. Because obviously Scoria's been, like, plotting the assassination. But then maybe Morgan, because he's, like, the more brutal and, like, implementer of Scoria's plans, like, might be the one to carry it out. So maybe... Yeah, I have a feeling he might be the weapon of choice, so to speak. Ooh, very cool. And then I guess our last, like, plot line is Torong. Yeah. Who I'm glad we got some development. I was like worried that all of a sudden Garak was gonna be like, Alright, you're cursed, you're out, like, you know. But... No, his plot is so much more like it's very cool. I'm excited about what's going on with his stuff. Because he had two chapters, or at least a two parts to his plot. Basically like this development of his battle arts class. And then we're introduced to a new type of magic or enchantment called Mire Dust. I had like a little bit of a hard time picturing it, but then once they started using it, it was so cool. It like turns from a gas to like a manipulatable, semi-solid rubbery thing, and it like bounces back at you. So they were using it for fighting, because like basically every hit you hit at it, it's gonna like hit back at you, which I thought was really fun. It almost reminded me of like those like punching clowns that you knock down and then they pop back up at you. That was what I was thinking of, yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. Because <laughs> they're, they're sparring, and so I was like, oh, this would kind of make sense. But then if, you know, if you just hit a punching bag, it moves a little bit, but it doesn't have much to it. I'm like, oh, these people are magical. They need a little more challenge. Like, let's <laughs> up the difficulty. Yeah, oh, especially if you put, like, your aura behind it, and then it absorbs that and deflects it back. Like, there's, there's a lot of potential. So they were all using that. We're introduced to, like, a couple of his classmates. So his best friend, Matthew... And then another girl, Augustine, who's from, is it Montcroy? Mm-hmm, yep. I was just making sure I was saying everything correctly. <laughs> Which I think you said, is that the intercontinent that's got vampires on it? Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. So my third book takes place there. So there's still a lot of stuff going on with that one. But uh, cool. 
Yeah, so she's a lot of people from Montcroix will, you know, migrate. But again, the way Montcroix is set up, it's only people who are coming from the main city. Uh, okay. Some of them will will come over and live in Mount Jose because they're pretty they're pretty similar. Not everyone can obtain aura use, but uh, Montcroix people can. So oh. that's why she's able to to do it. Yeah. Okay, yeah, because I think last time all we'd heard was just people from Malcose were using it, and we weren't sure about I don't, limitations. Yeah, so to speak. I was. I don't think the people from Kratos can. Yeah, no, they're they're not uh, as good at it. I would say yeah, they have other cool. ways of being powerful. So okay, awesome. Yeah, and she seems very mysterious so far. I hope she becomes part of a little trio of Torong, Matthew, and her. I know you mentioned that there was a character who had. Uh, animal that was more of like a war bird and i'm hoping it's her (laughs) (laughs) wait and see i will wait Um, it'll definitely happen but yeah so augustine she's she's a really cool character i don't get to explore her as much simply because of the nature of the book but my future story with these characters the next book i write with them which i'll probably do after this one of my croy like she'll definitely be involved and the three of them will be you know kind of a trio Oh, cool. All right. I love yeah. that. Um, I am enjoying the, as you were mentioning kind of before with Analia and Karina, they have their sportsmanship, like rivalry, competitive nature, the way that Torong and Matthew kind of are developing. And it's interesting that, again, we get these main characters. And I think it's important that they're not like the best, that they have someone that's going to help drive them and push them forward to go past their limits. Well, so, I think that's what surprised Tarong is like he is always the best in his battle arts class. Like he takes it the most seriously. He trains really hard. Him and his best friend, and then um, they start using that mire dust to like spar with, and they have to do this move that they're showed, and he can't do it. And then Matthew can't do it. It seems like nobody can do it except for then Augustine does it, and she kind of gets everybody's attention, and she's the new girl. So to like make yourself stand out like that sometimes, especially like at that age, feels a little risky in school. But I like that she was just like very confident in her abilities. Wasn't braggy about it, but just like went out there and did it and impressed everyone. And I thought that was really fun. Yeah. And Tarung was impressed, I think a little disappointed in himself, but he hasn't gotten a chance to talk to her yet. So I know sometimes for characters at that age, like if somebody bests you, it's like, oh, I hate them now. But sometimes it can also be like, teach me your ways so i'm gonna see how they how they progress there after all that happens gets to talk to garrett cornice about like his aura abilities and the whole background of this story and this was really compelling and i think not what i was expecting for him oh Um, yeah big revelations yeah i had initially thought last time that like the aura was just one of those things where it's like oh if it's too powerful then like you might not be able to control it and like you know a weapon that's too powerful is dangerous but I didn't realize that he was going to be following basically in the footsteps of somebody who had the same power and had used it for bad and how society now sees that. So I really like that whole idea because Garrett Cornies talks about this guy, Jeroen Kroll. Yeah, yeah, Jeroen Kroll. Yeah, he's so, uh, an, an old, old enemy of the kingdom that was defeated a long time ago. He's the only person who's ever had this level of aura power before. Everyone else is kind of just like a shield. No one else ever had it manifest to be something more. Uh, and then Torong's the first person who's who's been able to reach this level with it. Cool. Yeah. And I like that Garrett Cornice had like actually sparred and fought with the first guy 
and knew from experience that level of aura power. And then he saw it in Tarong and got startled. So I like that he has like such a long uh, span of experience that he saw the first person to do it too and how that all played out. Oh yeah, it's very much like great power, great responsibility trope and how you develop your skill, but more importantly, how you develop your character and like who you are. But then also like sometimes society will just see that you have a power and condemn you for it without giving you a chance. And I I have a feeling that's going to unfortunately happen to him and he'll have to really work doubly hard to prove himself because his goal is to just like graduate and sign up and join the ring coil and be a great military. And now he's kind of got this like wrench thrown in his plans of like, he has this power, like, does he show it or will that turn people against him? Yeah. It kind of, it's kind of lame, but it reminded me of like in Harry Potter when he speaks parcel tongue and everyone's like, that's just bad. Like that's therefore, (laughs) yeah, like they're, they immediately jump to the conclusion of like, well, only bad wizards have that. So therefore, if you can do it, you're bad too. So how he's going to have to cope with and deal with this like legacy of this power that he now has is so cool. But he does get the promise that he's going to be able to practice it after hours with Garak Corny. So I think it'll be awesome to see him like hone that power. Yeah. I am liking this uh, crossroads of destiny that's all imparting on a lot of the main characters right now. It's interesting because, you know, we obviously have everyone's relative main objectives. And right now there's all these obstacles now that are diverting where they think they should be going. And that's very much like life, you know. People have plans, but a lot of times the universe has curveballs and other ways of getting to the destination. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's how I felt for all of them. Again, like self-discovery is the theme of the book. And so each of these characters has those paths of you think you know what you're doing. You think you have everything like you ever wanted. And then what happens when that was subverted by something that, you know, you thought would have been an asset? New power, you think that'd be great. Like I'm going into the military with this awesome new power and I'm going to be such an asset. And then you find out like, actually, no, not so much. So it's an interesting way to explore one of those types of characters. And I think that's happening for like the younger characters, like Toron got that power. And then Analia is now accepted into this society. Whereas like the older characters, Oros and Barrett thought they were doing like so well on this path. And you think sometimes when you're older, you have more experience and like things are clearer And then all of their plans fall out from underneath them and they don't even know what to do. So I think it's kind of cool how people are coming to these forks in their lives in different ways. It's not just like, oh, you have a choice to make. Oh, you have a choice to make. Like sometimes, sometimes you get a blessing in disguise or sometimes like things just don't work out the way you think they're going to. And how they're all going to cope with that moving forward will be really cool. And I still don't understand how all the plot lines are going to come together. So (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Everybody says that when they get to the middle of the book, they're like, how does this conclude? And I promise there is a conclusion. It does make sense. And all of them get brought to the same location for reasons that make sense within their plot line. (laughs) That's fine. I think it's like kind of compelling to read and not know. Like if I can see like, oh, this character is traveling to this place and this character is already here. And then like this character is from that's their homeland. And like they're clearly all going to end up in the same location at some point. But like. For these, like, cast of characters, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's very, very up in the air. Uh, Which I think is fun. And I have, like, a whole bunch of questions after these chapters about trying to guess what's going to happen. So, like, after the first chapter, I was like, well, is Franco dead? Is he 
on the run? Did he burn his house down or did somebody else burn his house down? And are we ever going to meet him as a character? So I'm very intrigued what's going on with him since we haven't actually met him yet. We've just heard about him. Yeah, he's just like the typical quest giver at the moment. Yeah, and he has like a big reputation. So I don't know. He's like a character that we haven't... I feel like we kind of know stuff about him, but we also haven't encountered him yet. So I'm really intrigued by what's going on over there. Especially because I thought they were going to meet him and then (laughs) they just didn't. So... It's never too late. Yeah. Um, so questions about him. And then another character that we haven't actually met is Jeroen Kroll, who had the aura power. They kind of hinted at maybe... They said, like, his aura is what drove him mad or, like, put him away. So we don't know if he died or if he's locked up somewhere. Like, we're not sure what his fate is. So I don't know if he's going to come back into play in any way. He won't come into play in this book. Okay. Uh it's important to know who he is and obviously how his powers relate to Toron. Yeah. But there won't be any more of him in the book. And the only reason I, I spoil that is because I don't I don't want to uh, have you let down at all. Uh, <laughs> no, that's yeah, okay. There's not there's not more of him yet. I think as I read, I just like to guess at every possible situation and be like, "What's this character doing? Where did they go? What happened to them?" And like really like needle my way into it yeah so i think that's always kind of interesting especially like we're still getting new characters and i know you said something about meeting torong's mom and we haven't met her yet so i was like okay how how many characters are gonna get like introduced that we haven't yet met yet so i was trying to anticipate some of that a little bit (laughs) yeah (laughs) i do have some predictions um my big thing is i'm i know scoria is our like textbook classic villain and I, I do sympathize with his play of his means are radicalist, obviously, and like, you know, murdering a king and destabilizing a nation in order to like allow your people to rise up is like not the way to go about it. There is, I feel like, a little bit <laughs> not according to you, but according yeah, to him. Yeah, no, according to him, you know, apples and oranges, murdering, ascending, whatever gets you home. Um <laughs> I'm really interested to find out if we get more of his backstory and like motivational like forces. Obviously, there had to have been a little bit of a not a catalyst point. Like I know he had grown up parentless and in such an impoverished and underdeveloped nation. The frustration just mounts, and like you want to do something, and out of feeling powerless, you tend to gravitate towards power. So it's a sense of control, but um. Yeah, I'm really, I, I find his character interesting in the essence that, yes, you are a villain, but like, what is your motivating forces at work? He seems to have like a few different sides to him. Like sometimes he's really harsh and like very methodical in his like plans. And then other times like this interaction with Dextra, like he started out hardballing her, but then she said she was interested in like joining his tribe and he was a lot kinder to her and like more welcoming. So he's got this very interesting dynamic personality that I think as a leader but like more of a war leader can yeah play out in very different ways yeah you know there is a chapter closer to the end of the book with him there's like a caravan ride this won't really spawn anything there's a caravan ride him and someone else are going to something and that's how it starts and it does dive into a little bit more of his personality which is a continual riff on the idea of being this almost a kind of a bipolar character of like you you have this smooth side but it's almost mm-hmm. like, in a weird way, Steve Jobs. And that wasn't intentional, but you hear things <laughs> about him where he has, like, you know what I mean? That he does, like, the keynotes, and he's charming, and everybody loves him. But then behind the boardroom door, sometimes he just screams at people. Like, he, you yeah. know, he had, you know, that 
notorious reputation. And so sometimes within those type of people, they have kind of this bipolar personality of they can turn it on and, and really, you know, bring out the charm and, and close a sale. But if they need something done and it needs to happen, like people are going to hear about it and they're not, and they're going to be ruthless. That's sort of business. Uh, yeah. And so for someone who's in that warlord space, you, you have to win people over, you have to run this group and be a, a leader. But at the same time, if you're a warlord leader, you also have to be able to pick up a sword and, you know, hack somebody. So it just kind of creates that uh, dichotomy. And so when you see more of him, you'll get more of his personality. I don't get to explore his backstory probably as much as I would have liked to, but in my mind, I have more side stories that I could do of him. If it's prequel, whatever, where I can explain more of that. Uh, maybe when I do like my graphic novel or something. So yeah. Uh, yeah, there's there's more of him I can explore that I've in my head I have a whole lot of his story. Like he is his beginning uh and where he comes from and everything is in my head. But I didn't cool. get to explore it as much in this book. Yeah, I mean even without a backstory, I feel like his personality is pretty interesting. That comparison you just made was really cool, but I feel like he's like the leader of his cause, obviously, so therefore he is the most committed to it. But and like, you have to be charismatic. Yeah, so like you have to be charismatic, but at the end of the day, like you will do anything for your cause if you care that much about it and to like try to make other people as interested and as dedicated to it is such a fine line of do you just yell at them and scare them into caring or do you like coerce them and like charm them into caring and like how can you use those two different things oh yeah definitely like the classic like love or fear analogy yeah yeah (laughs) so he's been a really good villain and i just like i feel bad for him but i also don't want to just like sometimes i feel like especially now like disney's giving all their villains like origin stories so you like sympathize with them and like i'm not as sympathetic towards him because he is kind of a brutal character but i also feel like bad for him in a way that you don't normally feel for just like a villain that's just the bad guy like he's got a lot of dynamic things going on he's very real character to me so i like him a lot Mm. and then we haven't seen him and morgan together and i want to see what their relationship is and how they actually like implement their plans because we just got like the last chapter that we read was that quick snippet of morgan like going out and just like killing a bunch of people that didn't hold their hold up their end of the bargain that they'd made with scoria so he seems willing to just like cut down anyone in his path Oh, yeah, he's badass. He's like, dig it out yourself. And the guy was oh, like, yeah, he like broke shot it ahead. Like, oh. Yeah, and so like, who's going to end up in his path at some point? Like, I would love to see like a showdown between him and Oros or Torong, these battle masters. And, and I think that'd be really fun action and like a cool fight scene between them. But I also know that if he's working for Scoria, he could easily be the one who goes to try to kill the king. And then maybe Analia is in his path. So like, I don't know. I'm very intrigued. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, Morgan's a fun character, right? And there is probably the longest battle scene in the book is his. Ooh, yay! Yeah, Yeah, when I think about it, like, that one was fairly long. And it was actually the hardest. It was the most difficult chapter to write. I did the most edits and rewriting for it because I really had to make sure that I was able to uh, get the, the speed and the and the the slow moments because like when you watch a movie you know there's moments where like they fight and it's fast and then there's moments where like they stand and there's like that dramatic pause and so to create that moment it took a lot of work and interestingly the chapter you guys read with his introduction was actually the last chapter i wrote because when i finished everything i realized there were two pieces in my book that weren't given enough time one Mm -hmm. was that morgan was not enough of a threat 
in in like foreshadowing like nothing was shown of like why is this guy a threat why should i be scared he just kind of like got in this battle and so i was like i really need to make sure that that is a threat he's like showcased like you're scared oh, of he guy. was showcased yeah. he's <laughs> very intense and very scary it, it was fun too because by the time i wrote that that battle scene i had basically honed like i had been i'd obviously written this book and so i had a lot more practice and so that chapter was able to be a lot better because i was able to take all my experience and put it into this really well-placed chapter and then the other one was when scoria and dextra worked together because that relationship and where she fit into the book needed more depth both of them did and so that mm-hmm. was the other chapter that i wrote after as well to create more of that depth for him and for her I've heard that writing action is actually like really, really difficult. So it's interesting you said that that was the part you had to go back and look at and edit the most. Did you like writing it, even though it was a lot of work? Or does, are there other types of scenes that you find easier and more fun to write? After this book, I actually do enjoy writing the action. It's tough with it because you have to make sure that it's not just like description mm-hmm. moment. Of like he did this and then there's a... It's like you have to like, so you have to find ways to layer in, like maybe they take cover and they think about something, or maybe they're thinking about their movements. Like you have to layer in some, something of what the characters are doing or else it can get really like monotonous of just like people going back and forth. And even though it's action, it's not fun to read. So you kind of have to create a little more of getting inside the head uh, for all the characters. Uh, So by the time I finished writing that, that chapter, I hated it because I've rewritten it so many times. (laughs) But uh, once I actually got it together and people were reading it and telling me how much they love that section of the book, then I was like, okay, cool. Like that was a really, a really big uh, thing for me. And surprisingly, the person who gave me the best advice was my wife because she was reading it and I wrote it and I was all excited. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm writing this big fight scene. So cool. And she said, it moves too slow. And again, you, have, you haven't read this chapter yet, but she's like, it moves too slow. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, he's, you know, it's, it's like if you're falling in slow motion, she's like, yeah, but it's taking too long. And so she like kind of talked to me about what she thought and I changed it. And I was like, Oh man, this made my action scenes better. Like forever. Uh, That's (laughs) awesome. Everything you saw in the Morgan one that you read is like a culmination of the experience and also her advice. So that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, most action we see is obviously in movies. And like you said, there's like slow scenes and sometimes they'll slow-mo it or like speed it up and it's fast or like internal monologue or yeah. Translating that onto paper seems very difficult. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm really excited to read that then. That'll be really awesome. I have a couple other like speculative questions like what are Aris and Barrett going to do now? I don't know. I'm really excited for Torong's like private training sessions and like whether or not he'll be able to really wrangle in this aura power and how that's going to develop. Just because it feels, I think I made this comparison last time, but like Luke Skywalker, who's like, I have the force. I can do what I want. I don't need to finish my training and goes off and like does his own thing without finishing his training with Yoda. And that happens a lot in books and stuff, like the urgency of, well, I need to go help people, but I also am not ready. And that kind of dichotomy. So I'm interested in that. And then he and Analia are both approaching their graduation. So like, what's that going to mean for like the next step of their characters and those characters? Oh, yeah, very much coming of age. Yeah, I'm very excited to read all the rest of it. And it doesn't have anything to do with anything, but I just wanted to point out that something I thought was super cool was the mention of the weapon in Garrett Cornice's office. Yes! The comet, which is like the granite ball. It was so cool! <laughs> <laughs> That's a real it weapon. Seems, is it really? 
Yeah, so, I believe it's an African weapon. I was looking for a cool, unique weapon. I'm pretty sure it's a real weapon. If I, oh, it's been a while since I wrote the book, but yeah, I'm pretty sure it's. In fact, I'm just gonna double check here. Yeah, because we were picturing kind of like a battle mace, but like obviously different because it's on a strap and it's a big stone ball. I may have given it a different name, but I believe I, I basically took. Uh, there's an African weapon that's very similar, and I took it. Uh, renamed it and then um, adjusted it but it's based off of like sort of a, a variation of a mace yeah it was wicked cool yeah that'll wreck your day um <laughs> i don't know if anyone's gonna get to use it but just like the mention of it being there was very cool i loved it <laughs> i wanted his office to have that cool feel you know indiana jones's office where you have like all this cool stuff and it feels like exciting and it feels like there's there's so, there's a story behind everything uh, yeah. in that room and so I wanted to display that so it was a good way to do that I think it was all the stuff that he'd collected up through his life and like little knickknacks and curios and they were just like all scattered around and and Torong obviously loves that and it's very inspiring to him he clearly just wants to be this when he grows up so I loved when he went in there and was like just looking around at everything and taking it all in yeah very enamored <laughs> yeah <laughs> I think we have to wrap it up I'm really enjoying everyone's plot development and all the character development i'm excited for everybody's next chapters because basically everyone left off on a cliffhanger which as a reader i really enjoy as a writer i'm sure it's kind of hard to write every chapter in that way yeah it is and if i i guess a quick way for me to do sort of the next time on trailer uh, <laughs> this book uh i'll say like you know eventually when we pick back up with with oros and barrett they're sort of in the in the midst of the sleuthing, but potentially, you know, in an even worse position than they were. For Torong, he, being a young boy, he may have made some decisions earlier that he didn't follow through on that could catch up with him. Oh, uh, salt! <laughs> the deposit. Oh, no! <laughs> as far as Analia, her bond and her excitement will deepen uh, with enchantment, but then what are the consequences of, of that, you know, growing interest? And then with Scoria, he's just a badass and he's going to do what he wants. So, <laughs> uh, Super fun. <laughs> that is like the perfect trailer teaser uh, for the next set of chapters. So I think that'll be really exciting. So thank you so much again, especially since you have a new baby for taking the time to <laughs> Zoom with us. Yeah, no, it's been really appreciated. And hopefully you both are getting somewhat a decent night's sleep. I'm sure with a newborn, that's very, very difficult to maintain. <laughs> here and there here and there yeah luckily yeah, i already started writing before so i've got i've gotten ahead of where i i should be that's good yeah because i know you said you tried to finish this one uh when your daughter was born so now you're a little ahead of schedule <laughs> this one yeah yeah no it's exciting so thanks again for having me on i love doing this this is a real cool way to revisit uh this book because it's been so long since i've wrote it and it's a lot of fun to go back and, and go through this and you guys bring up these little moments and i'm like oh man i I don't even remember all that. So it's it's a lot of fun. That's awesome. Cool. Yeah, we're having a good time. So I guess we will see you next week then. Yeah, see you guys next week. Thank you so all much. All right, have a great night or I guess afternoon where you are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thanks, listeners. If you're looking for more, check us out at fantasticbookspod.com where we have book reviews, reading list suggestions, merch, and you can even send us a message. Or find us on Facebook and Instagram at fantasticbookspod.com. And if you like what you've been hearing, don't forget to leave us a review. Thanks. Thanks.